sugars. I'm just giving you a heads up that my signature program, Queen Out, is about to close its doors and the 50% discount will be ending in two days. This epic online course will never be offered at this price again. So if you want to snag yourself a bargain and completely transform your sex life so that you can have more pleasure and confidence in the bedroom, well, now's the time. I'm going to pop the link and the discount code in the show notes so that you can get it for half price, but you've only got until the end of tomorrow. So this episode will air on a Monday, got the end end of Tuesday to grab it. So I hope to see you in there. This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put in with a Pussy Magnet. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> Ah, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? <laughs> Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up a couch. It's the Labial Lounge. Hey, 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 Labial Loves, what's happening? Uh, I really would love you to get comfy because today we're going to be covering a topic that often makes people uncomfy. And we're going to be talking about STIs. Uh, I've got Jordan Donnell with me today to dive into what's up with all manner of STI uh, trivia. And I'm sure I'm going to learn a few things that I didn't know either about all of that with her today. So to introduce my beautiful guest, Jordan is a physician associate, women's health, women's sexual health, sorry, women's sexual health educator, intimacy coach, and speaker. She's the founder of the Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators podcast, which I'll be going on with her soon as well. Fabulous name. And her goal is to raise awareness about conditions, sexuality, sexual intimacy, and relationships that specifically affect women. She wants to help normalize women's health and create a safe space for women to feel validated, which is just such a noble quest. Um, so this little collab feels very aligned because we share that same mission of normalizing and destigmatizing and validating women's experiences. So welcome to the lounge, Jordan. Happy to have you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. So... Just to launch straight in, um, first things first, I want to chat about what, like, what is the definitive definition of an STI? And I know it's a little bit basic, probably most of us know, but just so we're all on the same page before we launch into the specifics, can you just tell us what is an STI? Yeah, an STI is going to be a sexually transmitted infection, so a infection that is transmitted through sexual activity kind of self-explanatory. There are mm -hmm. viruses, there are um, also bacteria, and there are parasites that are all sexually transmitted infections. Whoa, I did not know about the parasite thing. Oh my goodness. Okay, so can you reel off maybe some of the most common STIs for us? And then I'm definitely going to ask you about that parasite one. <laughs> yes. So most common ones are going to be gonorrhea, chlamydia, uh, HIV, uh, herpes or HSV, and uh, a couple of other trichomonas is going to be the one that is caused by parasites. And you have HPV, mm -hmm. human papillomavirus, the most common cause for cervical cancer. And also hepatitis C is sexually transmitted as well. Mm, okay, cool. And what what can you tell us about uh, this sort of new kid on the block, or at least something that's being uh, labeled a new STI. Can you talk to us about mycoplasma? 
Yes. Mycoplasma and <laughs> urea plasma are these newer STIs that in here in the US, which is where I practice in and where I'm from, about 2015 is when they really were first identified as an infectious disease or a sexually transmitted infection. And kind of getting some more steam. They're not commonly screened for here in the States. I don't know. Do you guys have common testing for that there? I am not aware of it, but it, we might. We might. I'm definitely not the authority on this topic, but I had never heard of it. No. <laughs> Yeah. And I find that a lot of providers actually are not aware of this as well and that it's that new. Some symptoms mm -hmm. that you see with marcoplasm or ureaplasm are going to typically be no symptoms, like most of our STIs. You have no <laughs> symptom unless you're tested or screened. Sometimes you will see like uh, discharge or itching or odor associated, but usually it's asymptomatic. Oh, gosh. So then what kind of damage does it do if we don't catch it? Like if it has no symptoms, is it sort of like bubbling away under the surface causing havoc in our systems? Yeah. So marcoplasm, just like other STIs, can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease, which is going to be kind of like fevers, pelvic pain, um, tenderness with intercourse or even pelvic exam and can cause long-term complications as well from pelvic inflammatory disease. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, that's a bit of a scary one since they're not routinely testing for it and it has no symptoms. Um, do we need to just ask for that test to be done specifically, like go into the office armed with like, okay, I want this tested for and da da da, -da. Yeah, you do. And a lot of STIs are asymptomatic unless you're having routine testing. And on top of that, there's only a handful that are routinely tested for. So the most common one screened for here in the States is going to be gonorrhea, chlamydia, uh, syphilis, and HIV. Those are like the four that are typically tested. But as you know, we listed a handful of other ones that are not commonly tested for. And so you have to ask your provider to test these specific conditions in order to get that done. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, any chance that there's like somewhere where there's a list that we can actually print out or write down and then take in with us? Yes, I do have a list and I can give you the link for that for the yes. show notes <laughs> for <laughs> patients or for women to take to their doctors with the different conditions to ask to be tested for. Absolutely. And it also gives you some other questions that you may want to bring up with your provider as well. Yeah, amazing. Such a good resource. Great. So, all right, I'm thinking like, I mean, I had a few listeners send in questions about this topic and a lot of them were kind of around, so what are the symptoms? But if there aren't any symptoms, how do I know? Like, how do I know if there's, you know, what's, because some people are like, oh, sometimes I think I've got thrush or BV or there's just some kind of imbalance, like it doesn't quite feel right. There's something mm. going on, but it's tricky to actually tell, like, when should we be going and getting tested? Are there any, like with any of these SCIs, are there any symptoms at all that could, or just telltale signs? Yeah. So things to look for, for STIs in particular are going to be vaginal discharge changes. So mm -hmm. color changes, amount changes, frequency of like how much discharge you're having and odor. Some other things to pay attention to would be like maybe itching or pain with intercourse, pain with urination, any changes. Those are things that should make you go, hmm, something isn't right. You brought up BV and yeast infections. Those are not STIs. Those are other infections. They fall under their category of vaginitis, which is a vaginal infection, but it's not sexually transmitted. With mm. BV or bacterial vaginosis, that is going to be something that you usually see like a fishy odor, can be kind of some itching or some tenderness to your vulva. And a lot of times more discharge is produced than usual. Mm. And with a yeast infection, that's typically going to be more of like a cottage cheese like discharge, which uh, will change your opinion of cottage cheese in the future. But that <laughs> white, thick, chunky type discharge, sometimes associated with that itching as well and that irritation to the vulva. Mm. 
Yeah, great. Um, thanks for clarifying that. There's actually, if, if you're interested in learning more, everybody, I've got an episode that's specifically around vaginal infections, S, uh, sorry, BV and thrush and S, what am I saying? UTIs, UTIs, not STIs. Goddamn. Um, yeah, so you can jump on. Um, it's a past episode with Joanna McMeekin, who's a Chinese medicine doctor. I think I've got one with a naturopath as well. So we've covered those sort of like more common vaginal infections if you're interested in learning more about those. Um, so when it comes to STIs, though, get my, get my words right. Um, what are the things that you like commonly find yourself educating people on, Jordan? I think the biggest thing is when to get tested and mm-hmm. asking for the appropriate tests. So if you are sexually active, if you are in a monogamous relationship, still would recommend yearly screening. If you're in a non-monogamous relationship, would recommend more frequent testing. It depends. Some people are going to choose to do like annually. So every three to four months, some people will choose to do every six months, sometimes every year. It depends, you know, between your partners would encourage doing testing and um, having conversations about when is the last time you got tested and what were the results and how many partners have you had since then? Have you been using condoms or not? And asking those things of your partners. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, I actually just came to mind. I did an episode with um, Danelle from Cervical Wellness about HPV because I have an ongoing HPV um, infection, which has caused cervical dysplasia. And it was interesting to um, discover that you know, my partner and I could have been passing it back and forth between us, which is why even though I'm in a monogamous relationship, blah, 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 I just haven't been able to kick it um, because even though I've been doing all the right things and trying really hard, like we may have been passing it back and forth between us and you actually can't, there are no like symptoms, you can't really like tell if the male has it. Um, So anyway, it's just an interesting side note. But um, I'm wondering like what, yeah. There's no testing for HPV for men. Yeah, no routine testing. It is available in in the states. We have anal testing and throat testing for HPV, but you're not going to find that readily available at most providers' offices. You're probably mm. going to have to go to a sex positive place like Planned Parenthood or um, some other types of community resources for that type mm. of specific testing. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, we just haven't had access to that really specific testing for him. So we've kind of been just playing it safe and using condoms, actually Johnny condoms, which is this really amazing ethical condom brand sponsored me and sent me a bunch of free condoms so that we can be using those while I'm trying to heal my cervical dysplasia. Uh, It's just a peak peak career moment when someone sends me free condoms so that I can yeah. Always love that. Uh, um, so yeah, speaking of testing, that was what I wanted to ask next is like, I know that some routine ones you can do with like a urine test, some like, um, you know, herpes, you need to do a blood test. Like what sort of tests um, are we going to need to get for each one or, you know, to do a thorough panel? Yeah. So to do a thorough panel, you're going to want blood and then either a urine or a vaginal swab if you are somebody with a vagina. If you are a male or somebody with a penis, then it would just be a urine swab or like Mm -hmm. a urine culture that they would collect some of that for testing. And with the blood, you're able to look for HIV, syphilis, HPV, or I'm sorry, HIV, syphilis, HSV, and (laughs) hepatitis C. With the swab, you're able to do gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas, and also marcoplasm and ureaplasm if that is one that they're being tested for as well. Mm. Okay. Yep. Great. That's going to be, yeah, that list that you've got, such a good resource because I, I used to just go and I just assume the doctors kind of had my back and just would obviously test. They're like, do you want me to do, you know, an STI test? I'm like, yeah, definitely. And then I found out they only tested for like three of the main ones with that. And if I wanted the more specific, you know, one I had to do bloods, I had to do other things. And I was like, why? They just didn't even like tell me, you know? Um, so that's really useful. And it's nice to go in there armed with a bit of knowledge and, you know, a bit of a checklist and then just really insist on it as well. Um, Yeah. And it helps you feel so empowered when you're having these conversations with your providers to know 
what you should be asking or to have a little bit of background information so that you feel more confident walking in there asking for what you need. Mm, Exactly. And then, you know, they're less likely to be dismissive or just kind of want to get you in and out. I mean, it totally depends on what sort of doctor you go to. And, you know, I used to go to this bulk billing clinic that just literally like probably um, set aside 10 minute slots for each patient and they just wanted to get you in and out and they like barely even made eye contact with you and you know you really had to like assert yourself if you wanted to be listened to and to have a proper conversation and ask questions and get answers about what they were doing and you know so that's really cool. Um, So let's talk about risk factors. Um, I know like you know certain immune issues can make you more susceptible and, you know, then things like rough sex, you know, that causes micro tears um, or like having other infections like BV or thrush and things can be like co co cofactors, I guess is the word, but, you know, they can make you more vulnerable to an STI. Um, what are the risk factors that we should be aware of? Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content unlike with the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now back to the episode. So multiple partners um, is going to be one of the biggest risk, risk factors for an STI. Also, not using condoms. One of the biggest, most important things to know is that condoms do not protect you from everything and that some of these conditions are spread via skin-to-skin contact. And so condoms cover, you know, a penis and can protect maybe the internal part of the vaginal canal, but the external, the vulva and the base of the penis are not going to be covered by condoms. Therefore, those are still at risk for passing Uh, skin-to-skin infections. So um, condoms will help reduce your risk. And then uh, really just minimizing the number of sexual partners or having safer sex practices. That being said, like minimizing the number of sexual partners is also relative in that, um, you know, it... (laughs) ensuring that you're having regular testing will help reduce your risk. And it's not realistic that we are necessarily reducing the number of partners that we have, but being, you know, having a screening process, having some questions that you ask, making sure that you're getting their test results, your test results, all of that will help reduce your risk. Mm. Yeah, totally. I definitely have had some moments of like, oh my God, what about, you know, with my journey with HPV and and just looking back and going, fuck, like there was a few years there in my early 20s where I had the Implanon in. So, you know, hadn't really clocked onto the damage that hormonal birth control can do. And I just was like, oh yeah, fuck it. Like I can't get pregnant. I can do whatever. Like I had this like freedom, but then it meant that I wasn't being as safe and had lots of sexual partners also doubled in the poly world as well. And, you know, there's been moments where I've been like, fuck, I kind of regret that uh, a bit because I think I put myself at so like such a higher risk um, and have obviously wound up with HPV. I mean, it's the most common, like every everyone's got HPV basically. It's not Pretty a big deal. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like, um, I think they say like 80% of sexually active women will have HPV in their lifetime. I remember yeah. I, I got it when I was in my early 20s and I didn't get one strand. I got four strands at once. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, yeah, like... 
and I remember when I got it, I did not understand that it was a sexually transmitted infection and how that is mm. actually passed on. Mm. And there's a lot of misinformation about HPV, I think, out there in the world. Uh, did you feel like that when you got that diagnosis? Yeah, yeah, totally. It was, yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. And I'm very glad there are resources like um, Danelle's book uh, about cervical dysplasia and, and healing that naturally and uh, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom by Christiane Northrup. I think that was the first book I read, a big section in there about HPV. And I was like, oh, well, okay, it's actually really common and very also very common that we heal that naturally ourselves if our immune system's up to scratch and, you know, it just sort of like it, it sorts itself out and it doesn't necessarily have to be this big scary thing that's like a death sentence and like, oh, you're definitely going to get cervical cancer and you better have, you know, your part of your cervix removed. Like it doesn't have to be this big scary um, doom and gloom thing and I think like reading those books and starting to actually research myself and find empowering information was like a big game changer for me so I don't feel that rising sense of panic or like failure as a woman for like not protecting my body or whatever like it's just yeah it's very um, manageable yeah and I think that's a really good point to bring up is that when you have an STI it's a part of life. It's a part of risk that you take when having sexual intercourse, period. It doesn't make you nasty. It doesn't make you dirty. It doesn't make you irresponsible. It doesn't make you a slut. It's that you had sex. You know, there's lots mm -hmm. of people who get an STI the first time that they have sex. There are other people where that's maybe not the case and they, they never get an STI. But at the end of the day, it's a risk that you take and it doesn't mean anything about you as an individual. Mm, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That's really important because it is like so stigmatized. I think there's a lot of like shame and embarrassment around it, but it's so normal and it doesn't mean anything about you. Like, yeah. So, you know, surrounding the shame and the embarrassment that we're feeling, um, I think we're also then up against this, uh, like if we're if we're engaging like say we're you know we're having a fun time we're out and about we're hooking up we're dating um we want to be having sex with multiple people w like a lot of I know a lot of people find it very hard to you know approach a new sexual partner or like if they're going to have a one night stand or something and be like okay so uh can I please see your STI panel? Like, when did you last get your bloods tested? Like, have you been checked? You know, it, it can be a conversation that a lot of people find really awkward and confronting. And most women I've spoken to and me in the past up until a certain point, like I, you know, just preferred to like forego that conversation and just wing it and, and try to, you know, like hope for the best because, you know, we wanted to avoid looking like a loser or sounding like a, you know, like a dork or something because we we're being overly um, careful and it wasn't a sexy topic to bring up. It wasn't like a, you know, like a flowy organic, like, oh yeah, so hot and heavy. Hang on a sec. Like when did you have your dick checked last? You know, like how do we approach that conversation? <laughs> yeah. And I love that you brought this up because I was totally winging it for a lot of my life too. And I was winging it until I got herpes. And so now it's changed for me and that I have to have those conversations and I choose mm -hmm. to have those conversations with my partners to make sure that they are informed on their decision. And so I winged it for a lot of my life. It happens. And having those tough conversations can be really awkward, can be really uncomfortable. However, the more you do it and the more practice you get, the easier it gets. And I would think of these conversations as a way to really open up the door for deeper communication about sex mm -hmm. and intimacy and what you really like. One of my favorite methods to use is the STARS method. Have you heard of that one before? No. So the STARS method, um, it's S-T-A-R-S. -S. So S stands for uh, sexual health status. So what is your sexual health status? When is the last time both of you got tested? Are you positive for anything? How many partners have you had since the last time you've been tested? T is turn ons. So anything that really turns you on, what do you really like in the bedroom? A is avoid. So anything that you want to avoid that you don't like. 
R is going to be relationship intention. So is this just a one night stand? Are we monogamous, exclusive? What are we doing? And then the final one is S or safer sex practices. So are we using condoms? Are we not? What does that look like? And how are we protecting ourselves? And I think that this conversation for me, I always put the sexual health uh, status at the end because if our relationship intentions don't meet up, there's no point in me disclosing my herpes status because we're not going to be having sex. We're not going to be intimate. But this conversation can really help have the conversation without it being so cringeworthy, without it being so like, when was your last test? And the best time to have this conversation is going to be before being intimate with somebody, before being in the bedroom, because when you're in the bedroom and you're all sexy and it's the heat of the moment, stopping to have that conversation can be even more difficult. So I encourage you to do it prior to getting into the bedroom, but it happens. And even if you are in bed next to somebody, you can still go through these really fast and um, get get all the information that you need so that you can feel comfortable with your decision too. Mm, yeah, amazing. It's a really tricky one because I think there's like, yeah, a lot of insecurity that goes on already, like, you know, especially if we're meeting a new person and it's going to get intimate and it's a bit of a vulnerable space or like maybe we're, you know, already feeling a bit nervous or there's performance anxiety or whatever. And I, I like, I kind of keep hearing time and time again, like, oh, no way would I like bring that up on a one night stand. Like, what's the point? It would be really weird and awkward. And then they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to have sex with me or it would ruin the mood. And I'm like, babe, like if you're not mature enough to fucking have these conversations and if the partner that you're about to like let a part of their body inside you or like let, you know, in that intimate space with you isn't able to like meet you in the middle and like be mature enough to have that convo with you and answer some questions or like be happy to discuss it, then like do not fuck them. What are you doing? Like I think it needs to be more normalized and we all need to – you know, get better at practicing this and having those skills. It's like, it all comes back to communication skills and like self-esteem and confidence, which like, you know, it's a very uh, rife area, sexuality and, you know, hookup culture and stuff. It's very tricky, but like, can you even imagine if the whole culture around that changed and it was actually expected and normal to like talk about this before we took our clothes off like holy shit like what a game changer so I just would like to like level the fuck up with this and just like if you if you can't have those conversations you probably shouldn't be having sex you know (laughs) absolutely and if you think about it like if you're not having those conversations but you're talking about sex like when you start talking about sex or like you're sexting somebody, you're planning a one night stand and you, you start getting hot and heavy when you're talking with them, that's a great time to have the conversation. And having those conversations will help you have much better sex because it's not mm-hmm. just about the safer sex practices, the STI status. It's about talking about how, especially as women, how do we want to be touched do we like it fast? Do we like it slow? Do we like to be kissed? Do we like this? Do we like that? Do we find kissing too intimate during sex when we're hooking up with somebody? I know a lot of women who feel that way. And so these conversations are really a tool for making it better for you and making that experience better for you, even if it is a one night stand. And that being said, like, do you want to have sex with somebody who is not capable of having these kinds of conversations? Totally. It's like, yeah, it's almost, I mean, it's pretty old fashioned expression, but like it sort of separates the men from the boys or, you know, the wheat from the chaff because mm-hmm. like if they're going to be turned off by that, like, yeah, they're obviously not mature enough and they don't have, you know, your best interests at heart. Um, and I feel like the right person will actually be so impressed if you bring it up. They'll be like really grateful that you provided an opportunity to have that conversation. They'll be like, oh, wow. And then that will foster better communication in the future, more trust, more rapport, a sense of safety. And all of those things are important to feeling like especially present and juicy and enjoying pleasure when it comes to sex and intimacy like those are all essential factors if you're going to be having a really like nourishing rewarding time and not just like being boned and kind of slightly worried that you might catch something or you might get pregnant or you know like it just it sort of serves a lot of purposes like you get that information but you also like 
develop this kind of relationship where it's it's already okay to talk about these things that might be normally a bit uncomfortable like there's enough trust there there's enough mutual respect and I just think like there's nothing to lose and like the things that people are worried about like oh I'll look like a loser or they'll think this about me or maybe they won't want to sleep with me anymore it's like cool like if any of those things went down then like fuck that person you do not want to be sleeping with them anyway so like kind of a dickhead filter (laughs) yeah and I found like for me with my s uh my herpes status my hsv that when I disclose it really tells a lot about a person's character and Mm. if they immediately like go and and have negative feelings towards me that's not somebody that I want to even date anyways. That's not somebody that I would want to be intimate with versus somebody else who's like, okay, I want to learn more or maybe they already know about it or understand mm-hmm. what it is and, and how to protect themselves and all of that. But it's a really great screening tool when you are mm. dating somebody to have these conversations and help you really narrow down like do you really want to spend time with somebody who doesn't respect you and value you enough to share this information yeah and also i found that when i disclose personally that so many men that's who i sleep with are men find that very they have a deeper appreciation for my vulnerability to share that information and they feel more connected because I am the one that's usually bringing that conversation up. And so when you bring these conversations up, the right people that you should be sleeping with should, I use loosely, but (laughs) the right people are going to welcome that with open arms and Mm. really be more connected to you and the experience is going to be much better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it reminds me of um, an interview I did with uh, the Yoni nutritionist about herpes and she was saying like, holy shit, like the feeling the feeling you get when you disclose your herpes status and the other person just receives it really, really well. Like she just kind of had this experience with a guy and he was like, oh, is that all? Oh, whatever. And just like jumped on it and she was like, oh my God, it was so fucking hot. Um, because yeah, just that like level of acceptance and, and um receiving that information well is very is very healing and very connecting I'd imagine so yeah very cool so it's time for the segment get pregnant and die don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. die don't have sex in the missionary position don't have don't have sex standing up just don't do it promise Do you have a uh, anecdote or story about how your sex ed failed you, uh, what you would have liked to have learned more about? What do you got? <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so great. So I would say that my sex education failed me in that two ways. One of which is that I didn't really understand that I should be enjoying pleasure with sex. Mm. And for years of my life, I felt like my body was for my partner's pleasure and I was here to please them. And I had no clue that I should be enjoying it and that I didn't even know what, what the hell I wanted or what should feel good for me. So I think that would be the first way that it failed me, but it also failed me in that our definition of sex is so narrow that we a lot of times are taught and sex includes so much more than just penetration. Yeah. Yeah. Great answer. (laughs) Oh, all right. So I've got a few more questions about STIs. Um, We spoke about uh, the consequences of leaving um, mycoplasma plasma untreated what about like you know your sort of garden variety clap or gonorrhea or syphilis or like what are the um, consequences of leaving them untreated so like you know especially just to encourage people to get tested regularly even if they don't have any obvious symptoms yeah what can happen Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, 
it's pretty fab. And the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words, because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway. Oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh my God, I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah. So gonorrhea and chlamydia both can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease, just like marcoplasm. And that can result in fevers, infectious symptoms, ultimately. Um, So fevers, pain, pain with intercourse, all of that, and can make you very sick. When you look at HIV, if it is left undiagnosed and untreated, it can turn into AIDS. And AIDS um, Mm. is something that can result in ultimately death death if untreated and unmanaged. When you look at syphilis, syphilis can result in a large variety of complications if it is untreated. And with syphilis, this one in particular is really hard to know if you had because you typically will have a painless sore initially and it lasts for about a month and then it'll disappear and that's it. And unless you're tested, you would never know that you had it. And if the sore is internally, you're definitely probably not going to know it's there because it's painless because you can't see it. And so um, syphilis can affect your brain. It can start showing up on like your palms and your soles. You might notice a rash and potentially result in death as well. Wow. Yeah, syphilis is a bit of a wild one, isn't it? That can just sort of be in you for 50 years and then you go crazy, eh? (laughs) Yep, yep, exactly. Is it kind of coming back in Australia the same way that it is here in the U.S.? Ooh, I'm not actually sure. I don't think I have my finger on the pulse with with all of that stuff, but is it having a bit of a resurgence, is it, over there? It is. Yeah, major major research, major surge here in the states and I have had the opportunity as a clinician to actually see cases of this and it used to be something where you never would see a case. And some of the communities that I've worked in significant rise, like 80% rise, I believe is one of the statistics that I had seen over the oh. last handful of years. So it's it's definitely coming back, so making sure that you're getting tested is really important. Why do you think that is? What sort of causes the conditions for it to just like start really spreading like that out of the blue? So I think it comes down to lack of education, lack of testing, and Mm -hmm. um, potentially even like people when they get tested may not want to do the blood work. And since this is only diagnosed via blood, it can be easily missed if you're only wanting to do the urine or the swab. And Mm. so making sure that you do get the blood in addition to that. Um, I think that's one reason. I think the other reason is, is that, you know, our lifestyle practices have changed over the last years and that we're not as monogamish or monogamous, monogamous, <laughs> monogamish. We don't practice as much monogamy as we used to. Yeah. And there's a lot more hookup culture. There's polyamory, a variety of different lifestyles that mm. are more actively participated in, I think, now than there was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. 
and also I could just maybe be now more exposed to it than at that point too. So it's hard to say if that's really mm-hmm. true or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So interesting. I'm going to ask my um, my doc next time I go in and I'm going to be getting way more thorough testing. I mean, I, I definitely haven't ever been tested for a lot of the things you've listed. I've, I think I've had blood work done once, but I think it was just to test for herpes and they probably didn't I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe they would just automatically test for syphilis and other things, but like I didn't ask for it, so they probably didn't, right? You never know. You never know. Mm. And more than likely, they didn't. Mm. If you don't know, I would assume that it didn't happen. Yeah, wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to be taking myself off to go get a very thorough (laughs) testing panel done. Oh, fun. Um, Yeah, it's so interesting because you just sort of get complacent. And if you've had, you know, a few tests done and then you've, you know, I've been in a monogamous relationship for like ages. So I just don't even think about it. But, um, yeah, my partner had never been tested for anything before. Um, and I guess just, yeah, it, it just makes you realize that, yeah, you can't get complacent about it. It really is important, just especially for peace of mind, now that I know what I know, thanks to you. <laughs> well, yeah, I actually have my test kit coming to my mailbox here in the next couple of days because we can do at-home testing. And the last wow. time I was tested was back in like October. And for like the last couple of months, I'm like, I need to do it. I need to do it. And I've just been putting it off. But for what? Like knowledge is power. And if you know Mm. the information, you can easily be treated or managed and potentially prevent complications long term if you're taking care of yourself. But it does get really easy and it's scary. Like, do you want to do the test and find something out? No, it's scary. I I get that. But if you have that information, you're so much more empowered. Mm. Yeah, totally. Do you feel like uh, it's kind of more stigmatized when a woman has an STI than when a man does? Like maybe it's just been in my experience and like, you know, my circle's growing up like in a pretty bogan country town or something like that. But I kind of got the vibe that it was way like, you know, it was seen as like not okay and way more embarrassing and shameful if a woman had an STI, whereas a man was like, yeah, player. I would agree that that was kind of how it was perceived growing up for me as well, that a woman is a slut if she gets an STI, where a man, it was like, good job, you got around ultimately, and you're celebrating (laughs) the bro-ness, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so interesting. Cop it it again, women. Um, So like, what would you say to people who are feeling gross or feeling ashamed, feeling, um, yeah, like really letting that um, get to them because they've contracted an STI. Like I know we've sort of reassured them a little bit how normal it is and that they're not a slut, but like do you have any words for people that are feeling a bit of shame and a bit of like, oh, my God, I'm gross, you know? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is really for me what helped was resources Um, So podcasts, one of my favorite podcasts was um, Something Positive for Positive People, which is primarily herpes related, but they do talk about other STIs and finding these different resources and these communities to reassure myself that, hey, there are other people that have this. It happens. It's a risk of sex, but also it was a lot of reprogramming for me and Mm -hmm. working with a coach and understanding that. I am not my infection and it means nothing about me, but I had to reprogram all those societal norms that I was taught and society tells us these things, you know, starting at a young age and I had to reprogram that. And so I would encourage if you're struggling with it, find resources, find community, but then also work with a coach, work with somebody to help you reprogram these beliefs that you had Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally beautiful thanks for that um so like what have I missed I'm just thinking what else might be useful to cover do you yeah is there anything that I haven't asked or that we haven't covered that you'd like to share or talk about that would be really valuable to listeners because obviously I don't know what I don't know and it's 
it's becoming clearer to me that I don't know that much about this topic and you're in the industry. So, you know, with like hands-on experience. So like what, is there anything else that we've missed that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I think the one other thing to really add is that ejaculation doesn't have to occur for some of these STIs to be transmitted. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times we think, oh, well, they didn't come in me. That doesn't mean that you cannot get an STI. And especially when you look at the skin to skin ones. So just Mm -hmm. so the listeners know, when we look at infections that are spread via skin to skin, that's going to be herpes, HSV, HPV, and syphilis. Those are the three common ones that are going to be spread via skin to skin. But I think really knowing that like, hey, condoms reduce your risk, but they are not 100%. Mm. And condoms do also break. And you also want to make sure that you're using them the whole time because ejaculation does not have to occur for some of the uh, infections to be transmitted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Really important. What about, it just popped into my head. What about genital warts? Are they considered an STI or is it a kind of different thing? Like that's skin to skin, right? Yes, those are going to be skin to skin and those are a type of HPV. Oh, that's right. I did know that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, that's a great question though. Um, and so those are um, something that, that can be passed as well. Mm, yeah. All right. So I'd love to do a TMI story with you. TMI, we love it. TMI, we love it. Do you have anything that would be like a bit too taboo or a little bit too much for public convo or at least considered as such? Well, nothing in my world is TMI. So it's always hard to narrow that down because I have no filter and I pretty much talk about Mm -hmm. everything. I think something that happened recently that I'll share a little bit of a story on because I think a lot of women can relate to this is I use a flex disc. I use a disc for my menstrual flow. Are you familiar with Mm -hmm. those? Yeah. So they tell you to boil them after use. Do you actually boil them? I know that I usually don't boil them after (laughs) use. And so this last menstrual cycle, I was like, you know what? I'm going to boil this thing because it's been a few cycles and I haven't boiled it. I've been washing it with hot water. That should do the trick, right? I boiled this thing. I have never seen so much nasty crud that came out oh. from this disc and I don't even know where it was. I think it was just adhered to the disc, but you couldn't even see it. Oh. And um, I learned my lesson. Boil your cups and discs after each menstrual cycle. No shit. I'm so lazy. I totally thought hot water and like maybe a bit of soap or vinegar would do the trick. <laughs> yeah, so did I. So did I. It does not from oh, that based on whoa. that experience. I was very like, oh wow, okay. Okay. Whoa. All right. That is good to know. Everybody go boil it. Send me a photo if you get some like weird floaty action going on like Jordan did. That's really interesting. I <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where was it hiding? Like those things are so sleek and silicony. Like you'd think you'd be able to see it if there was a whole bunch of like bacteria and crud hiding out. Whoa. Bit scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no idea. I think it was, I have a dark gray one. And so I think that you can't really see when there's a film on it. And so the yeah. boiling of it released all of that that I didn't even know or couldn't visibly mm. see that was there. Mm. Wow. Okay. Good to know. That's a really good one. No one's ever um, shared a TMI story like that before. Love that. Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a sunroom profile over on the sunroom app, as I've mentioned. 
And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. Um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. Uh, all right. Well, I think that that's, that's a wrap. I feel like I'm missing something. I just feel like I wanted to ask so many more things, but I think we covered it really like succinctly. So thank you so yeah. much for that. Um, You're so welcome. Yeah. Did you have, I know you were maybe going to offer a little um, discount or freebie or something from your work for the listeners. Did you have anything you wanted to do a little plug about? Yes. So I have a couple of things, one of which is I have a program called Get the Sex You Desire. And you can learn more about your body and discover your body so that you start having better sex. A lot of us, I think, don't really know that our sex is mediocre until you discover what is good. But on top of that, we don't really know or we've, we've been suppressing what actually feels good for us and what we really want. And so this program will help you discover what that is for you. Um, if that's something that you're interested in, you can check it out on my website or you can send me a DM over on Instagram at uh, my Instagram is Jordan Danelle, J-O-R-D-A-N-D-N-E-L-L-E. And then the podcast, you can always check out Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators as well. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to coming onto your podcast soon. <laughs> yes, I know. I can't wait to have you. There was one other thing that I did want to add as far as STIs. Yeah. We talked about how a lot of them are symptomatic or uh, asymptomatic or no symptoms, but If you do notice any changes with your genitals, that's a good clue to go in. So if you're having any pain, new pain, new discharge, new odor, anything that just doesn't feel right, that's a good indicator to go get tested, go see your provider to get that looked out, looked at as well. Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, cool. And I'll I'll um link that uh, list that sort of prepares people to go in and and um, be equipped with that for their doctors as well. So yes. yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Jordan. It's been a pleasure. Nice. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right, everyone. Bye bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.